Hey guys, before we get started with the episode, I just have two announcements to make. One, uh, I have the Jibs Journal is out now. I send a weekly journal uh, through email every single week that covers uh, episode highlights, tips and tricks that the entrepreneurs in the show have gone over, um, and just other cool things that are happening. If you're interested in being subscribed to that journal, uh, the link is in the description. The second announcement is I've released a course. Uh, so the course is how to crowdfund for your passion project or side hustle. Uh, I crowdfunded over $65,000 in less than 90 days um, through my organization called Research Detroit. Uh, and the, the class is going to cover you know, the nitty-gritty details on, on how I did that, how I delega- delegated the tasks with my team, the templates, the samples. Um, it goes into full detail on how to run an effective crowdfunding campaign. Um, so if you're interested in taking that course, the link is in the description as well. It's just about getting up and doing it and like, you know, finding the time, finding the people and making it happen. You take control and you say, okay, this needs to be done and you do it. And you're never ready to start a business. You <laughs> just either, you either do it or you don't. Welcome to the Jibs Podcast, showcasing Detroit's movers and shakers, bringing you stories that reveal the gusto and grit that's long defined the city and its people. Together, we'll uncover the history and direction of the Motor City, one voice at a time. This is the Jibs Podcast with Jabron Ahmed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the newest episode of the Jibs Podcast. I'm here with Dan Budzinski of Purpose Prep. How are you, man? Doing great, bro. It's awesome to be with you. So it's awesome to be with you as well. I, I appreciate you being here today. And uh, let's let's just get right into it. Great. Uh, who are you, and what do you do? So yeah, I'm uh, 28 years old, born and raised here in Detroit, Michigan, Metro Detroit, just about an hour north, and. Uh, had a really amazing journey this last decade. So I've been married for five years. Uh, my wife and I have three kids, a three and a half year old, a two and a half year old, and a two month year old, mm-hmm. two girls and a boy. And uh, just launched many companies over the last decade, about seven of them. Some of them have failed miserably. And a few of them have really taken on some incredible meaning. And one of them is Purpose Prep. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, been running that company for about two and a half years now and we serve K-12 school districts with meaningful and purposeful learning. So going into the schools and helping kids think different about their purpose, their life skills, their employability skills. And what does that look like? So traditionally in school, when I got into this, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what the traditional landscape of school even looked like. I don't have kids in school and I barely remember what I did in school. And so things have changed so drastically because of how much technology has been inundated into the classroom that I had to relearn how students were learning. And what I had learned traditionally and very respectfully is that uh, it's very flat. The user experience is not uh, super dynamic in the sense that we're still teaching kids the same things we taught them decades and decades and decades ago when if you want knowledge or information, you just go to Google. And so when you think about the things of like personal development and leadership development and again, life skills, uh, employability skills, the social emotional part of human beings, Mm -hmm. the content hasn't changed. But the delivery of that content needs to change if we want young people to engage with it, right? Even people like us, like the way that we learn is we, you know, yesterday I probably watched an hour and a half of YouTube videos in my, in my, in my bed and I'm laughing and I'm learning. Mm. And so what does it look like to 
take uh, courses, create an online experience through a really amazing personalities, well-known influential business leaders, uh, celebrity leaders, Hollywood leaders, and, and then even just the general layman who is a, a college student or an engineer or someone who's in the creative field and creating a story around their story around what they have from a thought knowledge standpoint mm -hmm. and delivering that through online curriculum e-learning. That, that's incredible. Uh, I, I know like in my personal life and even when I was in high school or when we were in middle school, like yeah. I, I just felt like uh, a lot of this is like antiquated and it just doesn't really make sense. Uh, why are we learning this and all right. things like that. Uh, so where did you get the idea? Like how do you even start something like this? <clears throat> so truthfully, I think that for anyone that's listening to is, is don't, so uh, traditionally when you're finding a market to create a product in, it has to be, what I did before is I created a product that didn't have a market, mm -hmm. okay? And then I had to re-engineer that product for a market because if you don't have a market, it's very hard to create your own. So first I think I, I created this product for a market that didn't exist, but then I was able to actually morph the product into this K-12 market I had first sold it into a few companies thinking I was gonna go that route. Um, but when I look at my story, I, what's most meaningful to me is impacting and developing young people's minds. Because mm -hmm. they're the future of cities, they're the future of uh, companies, they're the future of families that are gonna be making up society. Um, and a lot of these kids, to your standpoint, I was in Detroit all day yesterday speaking at one of the high schools. And a lot of these kids, I would ask, I ask a lot of questions, right? And one of the questions I asked is, do you ever feel like what you're learning in school is meaningless? And they all answered yes. Now, is that true or is that just their perception of the reality that they're stuck in? It's really just their perception. It's not meaningless, but because they've attached meaningless to it, it'll be meaningless. Mm -hmm. So I tried to attach meaning to even traditional learning, which to me, that's the power of our program is it's just going to reinforce the learning because you have to still know how to write. Mm -hmm. You have to still know how, you have to know how to read you know, math equations. You don't have to remember the math equations, but you have to know how to critically think. And so helping these kids attach meaning to even their traditional learning is a really big passion of mine because life is all about difficult challenges and doing things you don't want to do. And the moment we try to opt out of doing things because they're hard is the moment that we really reinforce an entitled generation that's not going to be successful. Because life and marriage and business is all about eating gravel and eating dirt so that other people can have a better life. Mm -hmm. Your employees, your customers, and then whoever's on the other end of that as a, as a recipient. Yeah. And so that's really our approach is making the traditional education system better one step at a time. Because people are like, we're going to shift and transform all of education. Great. We're going to reform it. Great. What are you actually doing though? Because that thing is a big machine. How are you just making that better instead of thinking about how to disrupt it? Because yeah. um, disruption to me is all about value. What value are you creating to make people's lives better in that industry? So this industry is like a monolith, right? Education oh is gigantic. And people it, don't know it's the second most funded, government funded uh, industry in the world. Yeah. So it's larger than like health, healthcare, manufacturing, it's huge. Right, so I'm sure, you know, on, on this journey, uh, you've reached a lot of like challenges and obstacles like from other in, uh, institutions. Uh, can you kind of speak on that and like how you kind of overcame some of those? Yeah, so I'm 28 years old, which even makes it harder. I don't have like a PhD. I have my accounting degree from Oakland University. Yeah. Okay. So 
There's a lot of uh, politics or politics, whatever way you want to talk about it. Um, but at the same time, I've learned that I like the politics in only one sense. It weeds out people who are in it for the wrong reason. Because if you're in it for the wrong reason, the politics are going to make you so frustrated that you need to have a PhD and a doctorate and you need to have people that have vetted your course and endorsements and who's used your course. And ultimately, all of these little check boxes that you need to show that your, your learning is going to hurt the students, it's going to help the students. And so I've hit a million and a half roadblocks, man. We've had to redevelop our courses. We're doing another revamp on our courses right now. That's taking probably two months. Mm. We've probably had to do eight of those where we completely basically changed the product that we already have because it's not aligned to educational standards. Now, the educational standards are frustrating, but they're also actually pretty good. Mm. Like they've been well thought out. Um, and so to me, we've hit a lot of these roadblocks and um, we've hit a lot of these large institutions that have high demands because they want to make sure that they're giving students learning that is going to advance them. Um, but what I've noticed is you just always agree with the critic. Yes, I'm sure we need to have that. Or yes, we do have that and that is a big deal. Um, and at the end of the day, if people want to be innovative, you got to find those people. Mm -hmm. You can't just go and try to sell to the critic and let that person exhaust your energy field and let that person, you've got to find the people that have your heartbeat. You know, I've interacted with a lot of districts and they want to be the, on the cutting edge of innovation. Well, that's our courses. We've had people with 20, 30, 40 years of education, PhDs, doctorates, look at our course and say, Daniel, this is one of the most well-designed courses we've ever seen in education. In the e-learning market where you have a, a plethora of content that's Microsoft 98 experiences, mm -hmm. uh, that's very flat where it's just a talking head, our courses provide a dynamic learning experience that brings hope and purpose and a plan to students' lives. That is the person. I want to talk to the superintendent. I want to talk to the district leader. I want to talk to the state leaders that want that at the front edge of what they're doing. Yeah. Because you know the big institutions that don't have that that are there just to prove you wrong just like don't don't interact with them it's just that simple but there's a lot of people that want to be on the cutting edge mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that know that learning needs a change those are the people i want to hang out with those are the people that i want to work with those are the people that i want to call our customers that we can serve yeah. so uh so explain to me some of the like self-talk that you have when you're like when you're speaking with teachers, professors, and these these people that have been in the industry for so long, yeah, I just did it two days ago, and it's it's not easy. And you know, I I called a few teachers yesterday on my drive home because I only did about a six and a half hour day, um, and it's the it's the hardest work I've ever done when I speak in schools, especially urban schools, um, because of the uh, tr the level of trauma. You have to have a high sense of awareness of everything that's going on so that you can make the biggest difference in these kids' lives with the little time that you have. Um, it's the hardest work. If I could say anything to any educator out there is they're superheroes, straight up. Like, I don't know anyone that's more amazing than them. I've done tool and die work. Um, I've worked 16, 17 hour days behind my laptop doing what I do. And six hours into the classroom as a teacher, considerably, mm -hmm. is the most difficult work. And so when I'm talking with them, I self-talk, you're talking about what I'm talking to myself or how, when I'm talking to them? I guess both. Yeah, my, my talk when I'm talking to them is just really thinking, okay, how can I put myself in their shoes? Yeah. You know, most educators went into the business because they want to make a difference. 
then they get bogged down by all of this rigor and standardizations and test standardized tests and standard protocol and procedures and all the legal issues, the fact that they're federally government funded. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of pressures on teachers. So I always try to find a place of humility. Where are they at? How, how, how drained are they emotionally? Um, how many of them need a boost? And then when I'm talking to them, man, I'm just like looking to have a fun, good, fun time. Have a good time. Make them laugh. Make them have an awkward experience that you know just gets them out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Jar them so they can re-remember why they got into the industry. And then when I'm talking to kids, like it's the same thing. It's like, I'm 28. What was it like to be 18 and have technology in your hands from the time that you were 12? I didn't have that. So it's less just getting in the mind of the person you're speaking with. And, and to me, fun has got to be at the center of it, Gibran. Like it's yeah. got to be... If I'm not having fun, I don't want to do the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And so I always try to bring that into everything we do. Let's let's kind of move into you as a person and the journey that you've been on up to this point. And you know, like, how, where did this spark of like entrepreneurship even start? <clears throat> That's a good question. So I did the route that many will do, right? I went to college. Um, I did it because it really is the next thing to advance yourself. If you don't know what to do, I, I don't think it's always the best idea to just go to college for anything. But if you know you need college and you know it's a good social experience, because I think that even high school and college, what I was even sharing with the kids yesterday is, it's a great social experience to try to make good decisions and find out who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my journey started there in college, in accounting, in becoming a learner, in learning not for just the test, but creating the grit in the life, the life dedication and commitment to be a lifelong learner. And so when I started that journey, I got my internship uh, with a large accounting firm. And I remember thinking to myself that this is either going to show me that I want to do this for the rest of my life, or this is going to show me that I hate this more than anything in the world. No offense to anyone that's an accountant. Like I just, it's all about finding out who you are and what works for you. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I could not do that job for the rest of my life and be happy with myself yeah. um, and bring home a paycheck that I, I couldn't do it. It would have destroyed my, my, my creativity. It would have destroyed the, the, the passion that I have in the work that I do. Um, I love serving the clients. Um, but I, I wanted to be building a company and building something that's like art. Like I think that a lot of what we do as a business is it's every business is actually it's a it's a it's a masterpiece of art, mm -hmm. no matter what business you're in, especially ours that's so creative with video and all this amazing stuff. So uh, my my journey started in creating a nonprofit in my junior year of college, mm -hmm. while I was working three other jobs, uh, while I had a girlfriend, and while I was obviously had all these other social things that I was doing. Um, and so I had a lot of things that was that were going on, and I started taking people around the world, and been to 30 countries, yeah. spoken 1,300 times in seven years. And what we were doing is speaking in schools, speaking in religious institutions, speaking in businesses, um, just bringing hope and purpose. And my my goal is very singular: how do you access the the human heart and mind, and how do you give them practical steps? to reform their thinking patterns, their neurological pathways and helping them get freedom and breakthrough in their areas of their life that they have competing commitments. When people say, I can't, it's usually, I can't because I've been told I can't. I can't because my culture has told me I can't. I can't because my mom. And so you're actually trying to undo people's 
commitments to lies that they believe that are holding them back from their greatest potential and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we just, you know, I got my PhD, not really, but in travel, in actually being on the ground and experiencing people and learning how to work with them through their, uh, through their competing commitments and their unconscious and subconscious belief systems. So let's let's talk about travel for a second. I know that for me, traveling, you know, to to different countries or places that are not not normal to where you've grown up, uh, really expands, you know, your mindset and the, your frame of reference. So can you talk about how travel has impacted the way that you see the world and the way that you interact with people? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Like I think that if if you don't travel, then you are missing out on an aspect of life that will open up areas of creativity that you never knew were possible. I remember one specific trip I took to Los Angeles with my dad uh, many years ago. And I remember I woke up at you know 5.30 in the morning and I walked out of the hotel and I walked to the beach, uh, Los Angeles on Santa Monica Pier, very, very long beach to get to the water actually, mm -hmm. tons of sand. And I remember with my feet in the sand, just like just this different I feel like an energy field that I just was encapsulated in where so many of the normal pressures and thoughts and ideas were were dissipated and it was just like complete presence and being in the moment and walking to the beach and hearing the the waves hit hit the sand and I just just ideas just popping in my head and just like just complete felt complete surrender and liberation to all the normal pressures and, and demands of my life. And uh, I just remember feeling like, man, I need to make it a commitment in my life to get out of my normal living, out of my normal locations, uh, location frustration, and invest in myself and invest in my business by getting outside of where I normally work. Now the best worlds, the, the best worlds, you know, having the best of both worlds would be traveling to places where you can also do business. Yeah. So that's now what LA is for me. But I think that if, when you travel, man, it's like, I think that there's different, like different cultures, different experiences. They make you realize that there's more to life and you break out of your mm -hmm. social consciousness, which is what you've been taught all your life and what you think is real and what you think is possible and what you think is normal mm -hmm. is like, is that normal or is that normal? Right. And which normal is better? Well, which normal do I like more? And which normal helps me be more happy and which normal helps me treat others better and which normal. And so to me, like even like going to India and traveling outside of the United States, it's like you can't pay for better learning. If you're paying for college and you pay 50 grand for your degree, but you never travel, then you wasted a lot of your money, not on college, keep going, but the fact that you could take marginally a little bit more out, create a little bit more space in your college experience or your life experience, whatever that may be, and get outside of our world and realize that the world is bigger than everything that you've seen. Mm -hmm. And it'll change everything for, for whoever does that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, you know, when you, when you left your accounting job to, to pursue all these different things, what kind of response did you get from like your parents or your family or your yeah your girlfriend yeah so well the girlfriend thing didn't work out so that yeah. that's okay um but the family thing certainly uh 
which which then I got to meet my wife, which is really a big bonus. Well, I I actually have known my wife since fourth grade. Wow. Um, and she was someone that I like fell in love with really literally in fifth or sixth grade kind of funny mm-hmm. uh, I told myself I'd marry her then and then sure enough way later down the road um, We dated and got married, but to, to go to your question. It's like um, I think it's a great question when I Launched out I Continued to be faithful doing what I was doing and I think that there's this one amazing book called like 33 ways to be creative and how not to quit your day job. Mm-hmm. Like my day job was college and my day job was all the other jobs I was doing. And so I think that when we launch out, I even read this article that said that like, you know, entrepreneurs, a lot of people think they're just crazy and they take risk. But to entrepreneurs, they're like, it's very calculated. And so it was very calculated for me, man. Like it was the next step in evolution of everything that I was doing. So I still graduated from college mm-hmm. and I did that for my parents because they asked me to. Um, but it was very, you know, very difficult. It was, there was a lot going on. Now, thankfully my family, they supported that. But the thing is, is if they didn't support it, it just, I would have taken any of that negative energy, which wasn't there. And I just would have cycled it into positive energy to make sure I go and prove everyone wrong that I could make this happen and do it. Now, thankfully I did not have to do that. Having the support and, and power of my family behind what I was doing really launched me, super launched me. Could not have done it without the support system. Mm-hmm. But for people that don't have a family like that, they have to go create their support system, which is, you know, they can do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, definitely there's obstacles in the way of when people do or do not support you, but um, you have to have a conviction that what you're doing is worth anything and every single bit of pain that you feel in your life. And if you don't, you'll just stop. And that's, that's what it is. You know? Absolutely. So what kind of advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs or people that just feel stuck and want to uh, go to the next step? What, what would you do? Yeah. So to me, it's like you got to like know how to define the problem. A lot of times what the problem, a lot of times our problem isn't the actual problem. It's just a, it's, it's a version of a deeper problem that we're experiencing. And so it's like, why are you frustrated? Why are you complaining? What is the biggest struggle in your business? Most of the time it's sales, okay? Because if you have sales, you can have all the support staff you need. But if you don't have sales, then you're not allowed to piss and moan and complain about not having support staff because you can't afford them. And so to me, it's always going out and saying, what is the problem? Is it your perception? Is it, is it, is there a reality to your problem that's like, well, you know, we, we, we are doing sales, but we're not selling. Okay, so then the problem isn't sales, the problem is the market or the marketing, or a lot of times it's the sales strategy. For me with Purpose Prep, I was trying to sell the schools and being a new company, it just wasn't working. And I'd spent a year trying to sell the schools, bro. And it was the most frustrating thing in the world because the sales cycle is about 27 months mm-hmm. from your first point of contact. Mm-hmm. Think about that, yeah. 27 months, it's like, Two, over two years before you get a sale if from your first point of contact. So I started going to different sales, uh, like going to catalogs and going to, and then we had signed with a large provider called Edgenuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edgenuity is an incredible national company that they're gonna then have their sales force sell for us. And so it's all about, to me, my, my advice for entrepreneurs is if you're going through hell, keep going. And don't, one of the things that I regret the most and what I had happened to me is I had gotten 
battered and bruised by so many experiences with, with people mm-hmm. that I had allowed people's perception of me and people's desires of me to put my life on hold for about a year and a half. Now, thankfully, during that year and a half, I stopped selling, I stopped being, but I was actually in the development phase and I was developing, developing a product, so I really never lost a beat. Um, but the tenacity of my life really became hindered and I became um, very insecure with the, 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 the thing that I was doing. Um, and so to me, the, my advice to entrepreneurs is if you're going through hell, keep going and stop worrying and stop caring about what other people think. Yeah. Stop considering yourself. Stop thinking that you're something special. Like it's your best day, it's probably not your best and at your worst day, it's probably not your worst. Both will pass. Like take a deep breath and stop. Like it's all about ego to me. So it's like we have this ego and we care so much and we're, we take things so personally and nothing's personal. Mm-hmm. It's only personal if you make it personal. Even if it's personal, it's only personal if you let it be personal. Mm-hmm. And so that's my advice to entrepreneurs is stop taking things so personal and go and problem solve this thing as if, as if no one else is going to. And you'll get through what you're going through. Yeah. So... Uh, I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, are there any books, uh, mental models, ways of thinking, articles that have really helped you that you think would help other people? Yeah, you can Google, and I don't know if it'll pull up the exact one, but I think there's an amazing article called, um, it's actually called Decision Fatigue. And I don't, I don't remember who wrote it. Uh, it was maybe one of the big ones like Forbes or New York Times or something like that. But the whole idea is uh, how we make decisions and how at the beginning of the day uh, we are making the clearest decisions that embody our values and our priorities. Um, and it's why like when you go and buy a car, the car salesman process is like hours and hours. Because at the end of the thing, they're like, well, it's 250 if you want that. And you're like, okay, whatever. And it's 300 if you want another key. You're like, throw that in there too. Mm-hmm. And they just nickel and dime you because you're just decision fatigued. It's at the end of the day. It's like, so to me, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur and leader, you have to really know when it's important to make decisions and try not to make all the trivial decisions. Like what garbage bags to buy. Like, like and, and, and like what, like, and that sounds simple and goofy, but like, Stop being such a control freak and stop making decisions that don't matter for the company's most important strategic components. Mm. So that when you're making decisions, you're not making bad decisions. And make the most important decisions in the beginning of the day. And if you can, try to make most of your decisions automated. Whether it be if you're a businessman, like buy 20 white shirts and wear just white shirts. So that decision is completely done. Buy four of the same pair of shoes, wear those same pair of shoes every single day, dress shoes. Like it's all, to me, it's all about automating your decisions that are meaningless so that you can focus and be very creative in the things that are most important in your business. Another book I think that's amazing is any book that has to do with philosophy. I don't know if people have faith or if they're spiritual. I have faith and I'm spiritual if, if, if I had to brand that. And I think that if you're not engaging in some type of philosophy that stretches your belief systems and what's possible, you're just missing out on aspects of creative, creative uh, pathways in your brain that you're not utilizing that open up other areas in your brain for breakthrough solutions and problem solving and critical thinking. And so people that maybe, uh, I'm, I really don't care for labels. And so when I hear people say, well, I am this, it's like, 
Well, that's good. I really respect that. I, I honestly do. But I'm like, I really try to challenge people to be more than what they think they are. Mm -hmm. Because we are more than what we think we are. Mm -hmm. And this experience that we're having, like this conscious experience that we're having, there's more to it than we think is, is to it. And I love challenging business people to not just think analytically about business, but to think of business as art and to think of business as philosophy. Because business is not, tech, it's not technicality, it's philosophy. And your business philosophy and the way that you treat people and the way that you expand your thinking and what's possible will allow your business to actually become something more than you think is possible. Yeah. Without that though, it'll be pretty much an equation. And that's, people don't wanna work for something like that. And they don't wanna be a part of something like that for the most part. I agree with you. Uh, so for people watching or for people listening, if they want to connect with you, how can they do so? Yeah, so I mean, they can, on any of my social pages, I have a Facebook page, profile, Instagram. Um, I think another great thing is uh, run a podcast called The Art of Success. They can find that on my website, danielbazinski.com. Uh, there's a contact me uh, form or email or something on there. But if they want to contact me, I'm pretty accessible right now. Uh, depending on what the priority of that thing is that people want me to connect with, uh, and and really, I just I put out a lot of uh, put out a lot of good stuff that is helping young entrepreneurs just through whether it be a blog or whether it be some of the stuff on our company page, PurposePrep.com. Um, but I, you know, I'm really passionate about Detroit, and so if there's anything in Detroit, it's like a big yes for me. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's anything in schools, it's a really, really big yes for me. Yeah. So that's how they can do that. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing just kind of chatting with you too, so. Yeah, I, well, hey man, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I think we got some really good like nuggets. Yeah, I don't, I don't so can we take five minutes to maybe have me ask you a few questions? Let's do it, man. Okay, have you ever <laughs> had people ask you questions on your own show? Uh, I think once. Okay, Yeah. so what, is important for you for why you create this show for uh, people well, watching yeah so I think what's really important is okay so I I've been a, a part of like both the like tech industry in Detroit and then the community development industry in Detroit and there's like a huge disparity right there's all this attention and money being thrown into what's happening in downtown or midtown but a lot of people don't know about the cool stuff that's happening around the city yeah. And so the point of the podcast is to really showcase people that are doing all these amazing things uh, and then allowing them to connect with one another because then they That's have great. seen that these things are happening. And then two, uh, Detroit, Metro Detroit in general is getting a lot of attention. And so if anybody's interested in wanting to start an apparel company or, a, or they want to develop online courses or anything like that, there are people on the show that can give tangible advice on how to do those things. Right. So... Uh, that, that is really the goal and the purpose behind why this podcast exists. So, so I, I guess I last few questions as well is like, if you could uh, take it all, you know, take it all back, would you continue to do your podcast? Why or why not? And what is the value that you feel like is done for you? Because sure. that's why you keep doing it. Sure. Um, I, I find like a, a lot of value in it. And I find the value because I've been able to connect with people um, that otherwise maybe would not want to give me the time to meet, but because I'm giving them a platform to talk about their story and their product or what they do, they are taking that time to meet with me and share their story, which is beneficial to the, 
to the listeners and the watchers, it's but great. it's also beneficial for me because I'm creating a relationship with a person right. that otherwise I might not have been able to create a relationship with. And on top of that, when I'm do- when I'm done uh, doing a podcast with somebody, I always ask for a referral. Like, who else yeah. would you like to see on the show? And that opens up another network that I haven't seen before, or it lets me meet people that I haven't met before. And for me, at the end of the day, I always see myself having direct economic community, social impact in Detroit, Metro Detroit, because that's what I care about. Yeah. And the more people that I meet, the bigger network that I have, the better that it is in general. Right, right. And you're learning from people that are learners, which is a huge deal too. So exactly. I'm sure that that what it's done for you is you hope that everyone kind of tunes in. Yeah. Because it's like reformed your life in a very special way. Absolutely. Okay, so one last question, then I'll let you kind of <laughs> do you do. But um, if you had to... Uh, kind of describe what you're most passionate about in life yeah. and what you feel your purpose is in this next season of your life because our purpose continues to evolve. What, mm-hmm. what would you tell your listeners? Because they're watching this because of you, not me. Right. And so what, you know, what would you tell them that is for you? Uh, you, know, you know what, man? Like I recently kind of look back at why I've chosen decisions I've, I've chosen. And a lot of the decisions I've made in my life have been based on like previous problems that I've encountered. So like, uh, you know, creating an off-grid greenhouse and making that into like an effective and economically powerful placemaking project. And that was based off of my experiences in Pittsburgh and seeing that the model that I was working with there wasn't really truly effective. Right. Or like starting a, an affordable, accessible co-working space. When I opened up WeWork, like I saw that it wasn't affordable or accessible for a lot of people in the city. Right? In the city, right. So, uh, and again, with the podcast, showcasing people that don't have the ability to showcase themselves sometimes. You know? Right. So I, I think that like in the future and what I'm really passionate about is like continuing to uh, offer access, offer people the ability to share their stories, uh, close disparities, you know. Uh, I've always been the underdog and serving the underdog is what I'm passionate about. It's good. So it's like social responsibility meets, you know, service that's really what it is and because you're providing a service when we're doing this together providing a service to people listening and it's all around actually what's happening in local communities it's amazing man got a lot ahead of you so (laughs) well i'm excited and i'm excited about this relationship i'm excited about this podcast and whatever the future holds man yeah well thank you yeah thank you appreciate it and uh for everybody watching watching and listening until next time stay tuned